Well, it has been a few weeks since we've met for Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, having looked at those last few chapters of Romans, uh, going to be moving on for these last few weeks of the year to uh, 1 John. Wonderful book. And my intention is that we are encouraged as we look at this book. But along with any kind of encouragement, when we look at the scriptures, uh, we know that there are challenges and uh, uh, something that we can learn um, as well. So welcome to you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, especially want to thank those who join as a Bible study group, uh, that this would be something that you'd be able to benefit from as a group, as you discuss the questions afterwards, and as you have fellowship together. And, and the idea is that we are drawing closer to God, that we are growing more and more in our relationship uh, with Him. So the title of the series, and, and tonight I, I, I'm only going to do an overview. So we won't be looking at, at, at one particular verse or, or just the opening few verses, but, but just an, an oversight, uh, uh, sort of a bird's eye view of, of the book of 1 John. And I have entitled the study tonight, which really is, is the focus of the series, is can you be sure that you are a Christian? Very important question. And so with that said, let me pray for us and, and then uh, proceed from there. Dear Father, thank you once again for opportunity where we can share together in the teaching and the learning that uh, we can glean from your word. And I do pray for us all, myself as, as one who uh, is leading in the study tonight, being led by your spirit and, and Lord, uh, your word guiding us in truth. And that each of us uh, learn and grow and, Lord, are encouraged in our walk with you. And so we do pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, uh, be with each one of us, we pray. And, Lord, I pray particularly for anyone tonight who may be lacking assurance or doubting their faith. Uh, please, Lord, minister to them a word of encouragement from this passage. And so committing this time to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is one verse that I want to read. I could have chosen one of many verses, but uh, the verse I'd like us to, to just kick off with in a reading is uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, and it reads as follows. So John is writing, it's the Apostle John, he, he writes this, this uh, letter. It, it may not seem like a, a standard letter because it, it, it's not addressed in the same way as we see Paul's letters where he starts Paul an apostle and, and, and then it's addressed to particular people and it ends in a certain way uh, with a benediction or doxology. 1 John is not like that. But looking at the particular style of writing, looking at the genre of the letter or of, the, of, of, of this uh, book, we do conclude that it was a, a letter uh, that was sent to a number of churches that we're facing some uh, particular issues and questions. So just the one verse that I'd like to read is from chapter 5 and verse 13. Uh, John writes, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Great emphasis on those words over there, that you may know. Not that you guess, not that you hope for, not that you just anticipate, but that you know you have eternal life. 
I do need to introduce this study, and I thought I would introduce it by creating a context that creates questions of doubt in our minds. So we live in a world where there are different people, there are different expressions of um, even the Christian uh, faith, where where many uh, claim to be under the Christian umbrella, uh, there are nevertheless uh, huge differences, and, 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 and so that could lead one, certainly lead one to a place of, of wondering, well, are they right? Are we right? Who is right? Am I actually a believer? And so I thought I'd begin tonight by just touching some examples or giving some examples on the different denominations or the different religions and even sects who claim to know the truth about God And importantly, that which leads to the right meaning of life, uh, what it means when we ultimately die, uh, what is eternity in heaven all about, and very importantly, this this link between this life and the afterlife, what about salvation? People have opinions, people believe that they have the truth, and and there are different... uh, presentations of their truth and and so we ask ourselves well are they right Uh, who is right so let me give you some examples many of them uh, claim also allegiance to Jesus in some way take for example the Mormon you know those folk who sometimes come knock on your door they're normally very well dressed they have literature (coughs) and they want to speak to you uh, about uh, your relationship uh, with God They claim that they alone know the way to God and they have certain practices, they have certain views about Jesus and uh, they separate themselves from everyone else who is not a Mormon claiming that they have the answer to salvation and eternal life. You know, the practice of of Mormons is to uh, baptize uh, people and, and, and even baptizing people who have already died. So a kind of a baptismal regeneration that they would hold to. Then there are also another group of people that are very zealous. We find them here in Pretoria, all over uh, our city, uh, known as Jehovah's Witnesses or the JWs. They also uh, march around our suburbs uh, or walk around our suburbs, I should rather say, knocking on doors, uh, trying to have access to people in their homes and speaking to them about their relationship uh, with God and their acceptance with God. They, they make the, the claim that only 144,000 people will ultimately enter into the very presence of God. And so it, it stirs a question. Uh, are you one of those 144,000? Are they right about the interpretation of that issue? There are others and uh, other groups that... Uh, Uh, present different aspects or emphases in terms of the importance of of what one should focus on in salvation. In the last couple of years, I've come across a group here in Pretoria who have uh, returned to practice the festivals and the feasts that are presented in the Old Testament as we understand them to be pictures and presentations of what ultimately would be fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, They go back. And, 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 and require a celebration of a very legalistic uh, kind of religious practice of the Old Testament Judaism. 
you may have found, and, and I remember when I was a young Christian back in 1970-something when I was a teenager, uh, there were some people in our church uh, who had been influenced by the charismatic movement and they came among us and, and, and said to us, you know, uh, you really need to be someone who speaks in tongues, then you have really arrived as a Christian. And I remember as a young teenager uh, having doubts, am I, am, am I, really, am I really a believer? Uh, I don't speak in tongues, I, I can't speak in tongues, and, and, and so am I therefore excluded? And, and so these questions of doubt so easily uh, can emerge. There are those instances as well that we need to be aware of and we are aware of. The Bible warns us that there will be uh, false teachers. Uh, even the Apostle Paul warning the Ephesians that there will be those who come among us as uh, wolves among the sheep. And there are groups of, of churches and, and I would hope that we're one of them warning people that there are those who propagate and teach a false gospel. A gospel that would be distorted or watered down or uh, em embellished uh, gospel that distracts from the focus uh, of what the scriptures reveal to us. These things not only cause confusion, the fact that there's so many different expressions of people who claim to know the way of salvation, but they can stir doubt in an individual's life. And perhaps you're one of those who you wonder, you wonder sometimes, am I really a believer? Uh, am I just one of those who, who happened to be in my particular context because I was born into a certain family, my family, who hold certain views? And, and therefore, is my faith real? Uh, am I truly a Christian? Can I be confident? Can I have assurance that I have a true saving faith? So a variety from many quarters, from people who have great commitment to what they say they believe, demonstrating great zeal and determination, can leave us feeling confused and uncertain. And then, and there's, there's a second element or second layer to that which can create uh, doubt in the minds of uh, people. And it's... It is when we experience the difficulties of life, when hard things happen to us as individuals in the course of our lives. In the midst of the difficulty, we begin to question the validity of our faith. We question, does God love me? Uh, can I be a Christian because these difficult things are taking place in my life? And, and, and so it stirs again this uncertainty, this lack of assurance. Is it possible, therefore, that, that, that all this time I've been wrong and, and other people are right? And, and do I need to change something or, or do I just close my eyes? Do I just deny the, the feelings of uncertainty that are in my life? And so, yes, we do need to ask the question. In the midst of doubt and confusion and uncertain and uncertainty, are you a true Christian? Am I a true believer? Am I being deceived? Is it possible that, that we are being deceived? Is an option that some people do take. They simply say, well, 
Everybody has a bit of truth, so everybody's right, so there's a kind of a universal approach to salvation, so everybody at the end of the day will be saved. Well, people do ask questions, and, and I think it's good to ask questions, and even the difficult questions, so we can see if we can find some answers to these questions. So we find John here, John, the Apostle John, writing this circular letter, and he's writing this letter to uh, pass it along to various churches, and he, he does so clarifying some of what I want to call life and death matters. Salvation is a primary issue. This is not a secondary issue. This is not an incidental issue. This is a crucial primary issue. And so therefore we need to have clarity. We need to know that, that what we believe is, is true and, and is right and uh, true of ourselves as well. And so he writes this letter in an attempt to alleviate confusion that had emerged in those uh, churches in that context, uh, people who were experiencing doubt and people who were lacking assurance of faith. And so my effort this evening is to just attempt a brief overview and really looking at the key question um, of this book that I'm very aware emerges among us as well. In the course of my ministry, I have sat down with many people who have lacked assurance of salvation. I myself have been in, in, in places at times where I've wondered uh, about my own standing with God. And so can you be certain you are a Christian? Well, we're going to answer that uh, question tonight. Just to go to the context of this letter, uh, church splits or divisions that take place among churches is not just a modern phenomena. It has happened down through the ages. There have been local congregations that have split from each other and for various reasons, but, but oftentimes it's over issues of, of belief. Of, of interpretation, of, of understanding of the issues of salvation and, and spirituality. Uh, we know the major split from the Catholic Church in the 16th century with uh, Martin Luther and the beginnings of the Reformation. That, that was a church split over differences of understanding. And, and, and in that particular instance, it was definitely an issue of, of clarity on understanding the true nature of salvation. Well, in this context that John writes to, there are those who were leaving the existing church. There were those we uh, read about in chapter 2 and, and verse 19. If you'd like to turn to your Bible, you can uh, have a look at that. And, 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 and John writes there, he says, of these people, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they 
are all not of us. So yeah, you can see the somewhat of a repetition that John is making over there. They were a united group of people that were worshipping God. They had a, a belief that uh, uh, was commonly held among them. And then an influence emerged that brought about this division, separating these people, bringing them to a place where some people left. The Levers claimed that they knew something more. They knew something of an improvement of what they had been taught before. And if we were to go back to the particular issue of that day, it was uh, around the issue of uh, what we describe today as Gnosticism. Now, the Greek word uh, for knowledge is the word gnosis. And the Gnostics, and, and they uh, evolved and, and developed quite a, an influence that challenged the church again and again, where they believed that there was some kind of divine spark inside of them that gave them uh, greater knowledge in the experience and their walk with God. So they wanted everybody to believe what they had was right because they believed that, that their way, their practice, this knowledge that they were gaining and had gained, uh, put them in a place of superiority, leaving those who remained behind confused. Am I actually a believer because I'm not following these men and women? I haven't had this experience that they claim to have had. People are confused. Were these new teachers right? Asking the important question that people ask down through the ages is, should we abandon that which we've been taught? Remember, they'd been taught by the apostles. Where could they find the truth? How could the truth be confirmed or, or reinforced? Asking that important question, had they been Christians all along? Or were their former beliefs now to be discarded and were they to move on to something else? So in short, it really comes back to the issue. Uh, could they really know, uh, did they really know whether they were children of God or not? Were they Christians? So that's the context, that's the setting of, of, of why John writes this letter. And, and in response to these, I think, troubled Christians, Doubting Christians, lacking assurance Christians, the troubling questions, uh, John sets out in this letter, uh, assurance, uh, means of confirming uh, whether they could know whether they are believers, true believers or not, whether they can have definite assurance of salvation, And so I have a very simple outline as we look at this overview tonight. And my first point is simply this. And, and it's, a, it's an encouragement, I hope, to you. But at the same time, it ought to be a challenge. Is my first point is, yes, you can know with absolute certainty. Assurance of faith in the Lord Jesus is something that you can have and live with, giving you hope. And peace of mind. If you are among those who have doubts and you want to know, this book is going to show you, it does show us all, that you can know. And 
you can know definitely and confidently and assuredly. Just listen to this verse again that I read at the beginning, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, there's the purpose clause, that you may know. Not that you may speculate or that you may hope for the best. No, so that you may know you have eternal life. Now that's on the one hand of the spectrum. It is possible to have assurance of salvation. However, however, very, very significantly, it is also possible to be deceived and have a false sense of the assurance of salvation. And I want to read a passage to you. It's a passage we often quote, I often quote, have quoted, it's central. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus speaks and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That sentence should shock you. It certainly shocks me. And, and, and every time I read it, I think to myself, is it possible for me to be amongst those who call him Lord, Lord, and will not enter the kingdom of heaven? He goes on in the second, 22nd verse. Many, not just a few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many, many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So see the two sides of a very important issue. One John is going to show us and teach us that you can know with confidence whether you are a true believer or not. Having said that, we cannot ignore the reality. We'll see it in 1 John, but certainly as stated by Jesus, it is possible, very possible, for those, there are those people who may be deceived. How do you figure out whether you've been deceived? or whether you really have assurance of true salvation. Well, if you take the trouble to dig into the Scriptures, examining the Bible, examining your life, you really can know. And that's the point that, that John is going to be making in his book. There is no need to live in fear of future uncertainty. There's no need to live in fear of Matthew chapter 7 and being amongst those who... Many that Jesus speaks of as being many who will say to him that on that day, Lord, Lord, and I never knew you. Let me give you some examples. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 is just one uh, very uh, clear-cut statement uh, regarding assurance. But there are many. There are many. Do yourself a favor if you want. I've done it on my iPad. I went through the book of 1 John and I just highlighted uh, each time John uh, speaks to the issue of knowing. But here are some examples. Chapter 2 and verse 5. This is how we know we are in Him. Chapter 2 verse 13, 20 and 21. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Do you get the point? He's, he's repeatedly affirming the fact that they, they are true believers. And, and he describes the criteria, the conditions, the, uh, 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 the truth of, of, of what they should be looking for. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. There's a confidence. No longer in the kingdom of darkness, but now living in the kingdom of light. Or verse 19, we know that we belong to the truth. 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 2, this is how we know that we are the children of God. Again in verse 18 and verse 19, again the repeated words, we know, we know. Now I want to take a step back for a minute just to uh, try and bring this into our own context and, and the relevance of our own day. We live in an era described as the postmodern era. So down through the ages, there have been different emphases of ideas uh, that have influenced civilization or society. And, and uh, we in our context would know that uh, many people would speak, for example, of the Dark Ages and then emerging from the Dark Ages, there was what was called the Enlightenment or the Renaissance, and, and then leading to uh, what became described as the modern era. And to put that in uh, simple terminology and, and illustrate it practically, is the modern era was characterized by a, a discovery of the value of science. And so much light in terms of the laws of nature and uh, the application of the scientific method. And, and, and with all the discovery and the learning that was taking place, uh, people saw the world, in their view, getting better and better. And so instead of riding a horse or a donkey, uh, cars were developed or uh, designed and, and built and then there were aeroplanes and then there were even spaceships and so we're looking at the 20th century at a time when science was making a huge contribution in the modern era where truth was being discovered uh, scientific truth in the various disciplines that one could speak of and there was a great confidence in what uh, people spoke of as absolute truth but then in the 20th century, there were also many instances in the unfolding of history that created disillusionment. Instead of the Enlightenment and, and science, with all of its discovery bringing a better world as people had envisaged and thought, the First World War took place. It was a terrible war. The Second World War took place. And then... There have been many instances, and, and even in our own day, uh, genocide that has taken place. And, and so people started becoming very disillusioned. And, and alongside of that, the disillusionment with uh, scientific and, and modern era of absolute truth, and the lack of confidence, even in some instances where uh, some of the Christians of a bygone era uh, insisted on things that were then shown to be false. Like, for example, uh, the earth is flat. 
Or does the sun revolve around the earth or does the earth revolve around the sun? And so, so doubt crept in. And, and, and so absolute truth, my point that I'm trying to make, was undermined. And we moved into what was called the postmodern era where at the moment uh, absolute truth is uh, not something most people would hold to. I'm speaking in terms of the academic elite and also the influence that they have in society. Let me give you an example. So um, I will hold this this Bible up and I could say, well, the pages of this Bible, uh, well, the color is white. Uh, Shelly's sitting in front of me at the computer over here and she could say, no, um, I think the pages of this Bible uh, are gray. And, and postmodernism would say, well, uh, that's okay, because in my opinion, it's white. And, and in her opinion, it's, it's gray. And, and gray is her truth, and, and white is my truth, and, and both can exist together. So, so there is an undermining of absolute truth that can influence and has influenced many people in the church. So that when they turn to the Bible, they become skeptical about what the Bible reveals and claims to be true. Now, I've taken a bit of, t- a bit of time giving you that background because I want you to uh, cut away the postmodernism and its influence on the Bible and remind you that the Bible is the revealed Word of God. And because it is the revealed Word of God, it can be relied upon and it does speak to us of absolute truth. So what it says is not my truth or just John's truth and and somebody else has a different kind of a truth. This is God's truth. And so therefore this truth doesn't change. It was true for a bygone generation and it was true in the dark ages and it's it's true in uh, in the modern era and and, and true in the postmodern era and whatever era will come into the future. So we we need to see that. We need to be sure that we we have our feet firmly on the ground that that yes, there are some things that become outmoded or outdated. I remember when I first met Carol. She used a typewriter. She was a secretary in the context of a corporate company. Today, people don't even know what a typewriter is. Everybody uses a computer and a word processor. Some folk, when I was a younger person, uh, had the skill of being shorthand typists as secretary. I don't even think people today, young people, know what a shorthand typist is. So some things do become irrelevant and outmoded. But again, to remind you, uh, not so the Bible. And so can a person really know anything for certain in the context where postmodernism is dominating? Are there absolutes? Yes, there are absolutes. Jesus uh, said it and, and, and it has been recorded for us that he is the way, the truth and the life. And are there things that are true? Yes, there are things that are true. And, and, and we can stand on those Truths. So these clear-cut statements that are, are recorded for us by John uh, can help us. They do lead us into a assurance of salvation. 
Well, let me uh, move on. So in the first instance, I was wanting to make sure that I communicate to you what John is saying, that you can be sure of your salvation. But it's not in a vacuum. My second point uh, is simply this, is that you do need some evidence, some backup support. You need backup support. Any profession of faith that anybody makes, regardless of their background, regardless of the, 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 the group they belong to, needs evidence. What is it that supports your claim that you're a believer? What is it that gives you confidence going forward that your salvation is genuine, that you will have access into the presence of God? And so what John does in this letter, and it's not a very systematically presented letter. He raises issues and jumps a little bit all over the place and comes back to an issue and he repeats an issue and he comes back to an issue. But if you distill all of what John is saying and doing in this letter, you'll find, and there's a lot of detail, but three categories of um, testing, of evidence that we need to look at. And I'm just going to touch on them uh, uh, very briefly uh, in this presentation tonight. Uh, the first one I've called the lifestyle check, the lifestyle check. This is a test that we need to take. We need to examine our lives in the light of the scriptures and ask ourselves whether there is any kind of evidence of righteousness, uh, obedience to God. Is there some measure of conformity to the likeness, the moral likeness of Jesus? And so we do have to ask ourselves uh, is there change in our lives being transformed more and more into his image? Now, if we think back to uh, younger days and perhaps a particular season when you were not a believer and then you became a believer and, and going further afield in the Bible, we see that uh, at the point of conversion, there ought to be some change. In some measure, uh, a repentance from sin, a repentance from that which is disobedience toward God, uh, that which is not pleasing to God. And as we turn to him in faith, we begin to change. Now, do we become perfect overnight? No. Do we become perfect over a lifetime? No. All of us are progressing. We're growing. Sanctification is a process, but, but, but it does start. And because it has started, because it starts at conversion, there must be some sort of lifestyle check. So we ask ourselves, how do we shape? Does your life, does my life reflect in some measure the moral likeness of Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong, because I'm not suggesting perfection. And I'm repeating myself here. None of us will be perfect unless Jesus returns or unless our lives are completed and we pass into eternity. And so we do need to understand, and John is going to teach us this, that the believer, it does not mean that the believer is without sin. 
in chapter 1 and verse 8, anyone who claims to be without sin deceives himself and makes God a liar. But the importance of this test, and we'll come back to it repeatedly, is that is the change. The inclination of your heart, the disposition of your heart, the, the way your focus is on your passions, and is it towards what is pleasing to God? Are you becoming more and more an image bearer of, uh, of who God actually made you to be? There's a second test, and I've called the second test the relational test. Now, we do live in a world where there are other people, and uh, right throughout this letter, you, you'll see that not only does John speak about our relationship with God that uh, is significant, and it's a focus of the letter in terms of assurance, but he shows that there's a connection. There is definitely a connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. The useful diagnostic question to ask is this. Are you in perpetual conflict with others? In other words, you just fight with everybody, whether it's at home or at work or at school or church. Or are you someone who, generally speaking, sees the importance and the practice of having a place in your heart for other people? The logic that John presents is quite simple. Since God is love and since love comes from God, anyone claiming to know God but failing to show any kind of love to others is either self-deceived or is attempting to deceive others. Here's a scripture, just a sample scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And he's speaking here particularly of the relationships in the church. If you're in perpetual conflict and you can't stand anybody in the local church, there's something wrong with your expression and experience of faith. Anyone, he says here, who does not love remains in death. Or we could read that remains an unbeliever. Thirdly, is a doctrinal check. That's my third test, the third chair, uh, 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 test that we can apply to ourselves. And, 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 and this is not a very popular test. I, I don't know why it is, but it just seems to be in our particular generation and era that people don't like uh, to focus on the content of what they believe. What is it that the Bible teaches? And, and, and John shows us that theology is important. And, and, and not just any kind of theology, but that which has been revealed in the Scriptures, that which is focused on the person and the work of Jesus. So theological definition is not an obstacle to your growth. It is necessary for your growth. In fact, it's an indication of whether you are a true believer or not. John claims here that those who do not believe certain truths are not Christians. Only those who believe that the pre-existent Son of God, that is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, became flesh at a particular point in time in history and died for our sin can be a Christian. 
1 John chapter 2 verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Now when he speaks of the Son there, he's speaking about the person of who Jesus is and the work that he completed to do. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So for anybody to call themselves a Christian just because they think Jesus is a great example is evidence that they're not actually true believers. There can be no assurance of salvation. Well, let me conclude. Just a couple of comments. I think the first comment I want to make in conclusion is the stakes are high when we're dealing with this topic of am I a true believer? Can I be sure that I'm a Christian? Not only do you want to be sure that you are a believer, I want to say to you today that you do need to be sure because the stakes are so high. We're speaking here about, it's not just even life and death issues, it's heaven and hell issues. It's an eternity with God or an eternity apart from God, under the judgment of God. And, and so, yes, this is an important topic. The stakes are high. Secondly, I want you to be encouraged. You can know there is a quiet confidence that we can have as we study the Scriptures, as we allow the Spirit of God to, to, to apply these Scriptures to us, as we honestly excuse me, examine our lives, examine our hearts and go forward with that sense of confidence uh, that we're safe with God, that we, we have a home in heaven, that the, uh, the earthly tent, when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we, we have a building from God. Uh, we'll know, even as Jesus uh, spoke to that thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise when we pass from this life. And so, dear friends, just to conclude then, uh, you can be sure. And, and I trust you join with me in the study as we explore over these next weeks, God willing, uh, looking again and again at the importance of that which God has given us to challenge us so that we can be sure that we have true salvation. So God bless you. Uh, I'm going to pray and conclude and, and then we're going to put on a slide uh, just to uh, have some questions available, if you are meeting in a Bible study group or just a home group, that you can use these questions in your discussion and further study. And so, Lord, I do pray, uh, self-examination. Uh, won't you, Lord, search our hearts, even as the psalmist uh, prayed. Uh, keep us, Lord, from bluffing ourselves or being uh, having the blind spots that can, can lead us down roads of, of deception. Uh, regarding salvation and, and regarding our safety uh, with you. Uh, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this, this marvelous and, and uh, wonderful letter that can uh, give us the kind of confidence and even challenge us if we need to get back to the basics and, 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 and be sure that we are, uh, Lord, amongst those who can be counted as your children. And so we commend each other to you. Please, Lord, uh, continue work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Shelley, just that slide, if you can put that up on the screen and just have that up for you for a moment.
uh, do take a, a, a shot with your cell phone and then you can refer to those questions in your groups. Other than that, just to say uh, God bless you and enjoy the rest of the week. We look forward to worshipping together on Sunday.